welcome to the PureMed podcast special series Behind Diagnoses Patients. My name is Leah Sarah Pure and I am your host. Behind Diagnoses Patients aims to uplift patient voices, to share their insights and experiences navigating the healthcare system. It welcomes everyone from patient advocates, the chronically ill, the disabled, and those with rare diseases to offer suggestions for a more equitable world. On this episode, I'm pleased to welcome Samantha Golds, a guest speaker who was diagnosed with CTLA-4 deficiency, among other autoimmune diseases. As a 25-year-old living in Orange County, California, she has been battling chronic illness for five years. Her mission is to spread awareness about how life looks being ill. Sam has been diagnosed with systemic lupus, lupus nephritis, T1D, CTLA-4 deficiency, antiphospholipid syndrome, Hashimoto's, and has a plethora of other ailments that have left her homebound for the past several years, and even bed-bound most days. Today, Samantha, we are here for you, for you to tell your story in a way that communicates the good and the bad of our healthcare system your concerns and suggestions for a more equitable world. So I'd like for you to take it away and tell us about yourself, your story, and what inspired you to become a powerful patient advocate. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for having me today. It's like crazy ironic that you reached out to me because I feel like I am in like this hole of discrimination in my healthcare right now, which I'll get into, but um, hearing about the peer med and all of that was just awesome. So I'm really thankful to be on this podcast. Um, I think that the healthcare system, unfortunately, is very flawed and there's a lot of misconnects. I've been chronically ill. Um, this September will be going into my fourth year being homebound because of my illness, um, but I started getting sick in 2016. So I guess that's going on six years, five years. Mm-hmm. So um, I have had a crazy diagnosis journey where doctors missed a lot for about two and a half years. Um, I was just in and out of the hospital and no doctors were understanding me and I can get further into that too. Eventually, um, I saw my fourth rheumatologist this past March and he diagnosed me with lupus, SLE, uh, systemic lupus and lupus nephritis. Prior to that, I had been diagnosed with antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a blood clotting disease, autoimmune disorder, Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease that attacks her thyroid, um, Raynaud's, and then I have a paralyzed diaphragm, which is why I require oxygen treatment 24-7. And then I have a neurogenic bladder, so I use a catheter. Um, All of these combined has kind of made my life be that bound. I started lupus treatment in March. Um, Part of the system here is where it gets complicated is that I have a genetic mutation called CTLA-4. There's only about 500 cases of it. It's super rare. Um, 
Mayo Clinic actually found it through genetic testing. Mm -hmm. And my CTLA-4 leads to autoimmune diseases. So basically what it is, is it works with the T cells and um, it's the breaks to your immune system. So basically I don't have any breaks because of the CTLA-4 protein. Mm -hmm. And so I've now ended up with Hashimoto's and I've also been lupus and I'm currently being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, um, which happened about six weeks ago. So uh, because of the CTLA-4, I need a medicine called a Batisect. Another name for it is Arencia. It's currently only approved for rheumatoid arthritis. So since March, which it's now August, we have been fighting insurance for this medication and it just got denied for its fourth time. So that's really difficult because now I'm trying all these other lupus medications that aren't working with my fatigue or joint pain or nausea or male or rash or any of the symptoms that leave me debilitated. Um, so that's hard because the insurance just doesn't understand the CTLA-4, so then they can't understand why I need the medication. And no matter mm -hmm. what my doctors tell them, you know, it, mm -hmm. so that's hard. I had a really difficult hospital stay recently that I think will be really uh, symbolic of how my whole journey has gone. Um, so I think I'll start with that. So I have been dealing with severe spine issues since I was 14. I had a spinal fusion. Um, they didn't know why it happened. And then that was it. Fast forward to 2018. I had what we know now was something called cauda equina syndrome. I'm not sure if you've heard mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, so I had multiple levels of degenerative discs causing spinal stenosis, which then caused me to have a neurogenic bladder. This was all missed at the time. Another mm -hmm. problem was, so that was in September of 2018 when I got sick again. Literally, Leah, I was a, I lived on my own. I was a math tutor. I was finishing my math degree. I like everything was fine. I went to class one day and I was like, I have to go to the hospital. I'm so sick. So took me, they found out that I had the back problems. They did not know it was Cauda Aquina at the time. Um, so the emergentness was not there. And that's now what has caused me to be on the Foley catheter, which is just terrible mm -hmm. and so bad. So we had to fight for insurance to approve the spinal fusion I needed for that surgery from September, October, November, December, January, February, seven months. So because of that, I didn't get the surgery. And then four days before the surgery, I had a DVT. So then all kind of fell apart. So then two and a half years passed up until this past Thanksgiving. And I started having back problems again, like same thing. Went, got an MRI. I had a really bad bulging disc on my lumbar spine from two to three, but it showed that the other discs had um, recovered. So they just did uh, a couple rounds of injections and those didn't help. Then 
I had an epidural at that level in May of this year, and it caused me to go, like, my back pain just went through the roof. My sciatic pain, it was really bad. So uh, I couldn't walk to the bathroom. I couldn't get out of bed by myself. I was, it was so bad. So my doctor was like, I'm scared that this is worsening. He sent me, we did another MRI. It showed that I had another disc come up. So now I had two disc herniations, which was weird because like I had been resting. So we hadn't, they didn't know where that came from. And so they were just, they did another round of facet injections thinking that that would help. And then two days later, the pain was so bad that my doctor told me to go to the hospital. So we get to the hospital and uh, it was the second hardest week of my entire life. I was hospitalized for seven days. Um, and it was super difficult because you, like me, right? I have oxygen, I have a Foley catheter, I have a pick line in, I'm in a wheelchair. I obviously look very sick. And I was hospitalized 15 times last year. And so I'm used to going to the hospital and how everyone thinks the hospital works is just not how the hospital works. You know, you see Grey's Anatomy and like, all these shows and that's just not what happens um and then you have me who every time I go in I get discriminated against for being a complex and complicated patient because I go in they're like why are you on oxygen why do you have a catheter let's fix this let's try this and I'm like no I'm just here because I have a kidney infection or no I'm just here because of my back you know and they just they want a beginning, middle, and end, and it. I'm just too complex for that, you know. Mm -hmm. So we, I was in the ER. The ER doctors were amazing, and then I get up to the floor, and uh, I got repeat MRIs, and it showed that I now had two more discs that herniated. So now I had a total of four herniations causing they were going into my spinal canal. So they were causing, they also thought it was a recurrent pata equina, but that's when they diagnosed me back with it in 2018. They were like, if this would have happened. So I missed a part, sorry. So first though, pain management came in and after we had saw the MRI, we had on our phones, right? Cause we got it through the portal. So I was like, oh my gosh, my back is not good. And then pain management came in. We had never met them before. And he was like, yeah, so you're fine. You can go home. I canceled this consultation. Like, we'll just send it. We'll up your Tylenol. Mind you, I'm on IV dilated oral dilated. Like, I'm on very strong opioids. Mm -hmm. And my dad got really frustrated. I got really frustrated because he was saying that it was all in my head. And so we were like, we'd like another doctor, please. Right. So it, it wasn't this huge confrontation. And then they proceeded to go to the other doctors on my team, tell them what happened, call me a difficult patient, put in my file that I was a difficult patient. 
So then a couple hours later, ortho swine comes in and is like, you may need to have emergency surgery. We, this, this, and this, we don't know if we can get your bladder function back. And we were like, so we had two totally different people. We just had, you know, we just had someone come in and say nothing and then ortho. So then after ortho comes in, my hospitalist comes back in. It was so bad. And he is like, how are you doing today? And then he jumps into, so why did you fire pain management? And I was like, what? And then he said, and I was like, well, they were telling me that nothing was wrong. And he said, well, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. It's in your file, like you're a difficult patient. I started sobbing. Like, I almost want to cry again. I literally, he then for 35 minutes, because my dad was on the phone, my mom had just walked in, bless the Lord, because she was able to help me. And he just, he's a new hospitalist. I know that because I'm in the hospital a lot and it, it's his first year and I get that. But um, for 30 minutes, we had to have a discussion about why I was a difficult patient. The, the times that he apparently said I had two disagreements with nurses and I was like, Okay, yes, I'll tell you about those two. I have them actually written down. The first was when I was in the ER and she wouldn't help me walk to the bathroom because she said she was too busy. And then I fell in the hallway because I had to walk myself. And the second time she took off my oxygen. So yes, I did because I advocated for myself, right? And yeah. I said, this is not appropriate care. And then my mom started saying, so what was she supposed to do? She's 25. She's learning to advocate for herself. We've taught her to stand up for herself. Mm -hmm. And then she gets deemed a difficult patient. And it, it, it's just so that now is in my file. <laughs> that whole confrontation I had to reread about in my hospital notes. And it, it, it just so I think that that story kind of represents like a lot of mistakes in the system. Yeah, that's kind of the story I have. Hmm. That's insane. And I really commend you. I commend your parents for really handling that and, and teaching you to advocate for yourself. Because if, if you yeah. don't, nobody will. And um, Samantha, how has been the yeah. financial burden on of your situation? Has have your parents been able to cope? Is this something that is extremely difficult? Uh, do you want to tell um, me? It's ex yeah, it's extremely difficult. Um, both of my my parents own their own business, and um, I'm very grateful for that. They've always worked from home and always been very flexible with working, and I'm very very thankful because. Um, my mom was actually able to like partly retire because she's my full-time caregiver. So mm -hmm. she's always home with me. Um, and my dad takes on all the work now pretty much. Um, and we're very blessed. So I'm thankful for that. And I think I, I always say that I don't know what I would do without the support system and the family I was given because mm -hmm. like I said, the medical system is so flawed, so hard. There's so many um, 
bad experiences that happen. And like you said in your intro, um, also things that doctors say to you that they don't realize they're saying, like, I've had a doctor be like, yeah, well, you can't have kids, like, just so nonchalantly, right? Yeah. And you're like, that sticks with me. Or another exactly. example, if you don't mind me giving it, um, was after we left, so they decided I didn't need emergency surgery in the hospital. Um, they couldn't figure out a direct target and they thought it was too risky. Obviously, I have a lot of complications. So they said, okay, you're going to see this doctor on August 17th. At this time, it was July 16th, so about a month away. And they were like, we'll discuss surgery. We'll figure it out. You're going to go get this test outpatient that will help us. It was an EMG. And so we had all of our eggs in this basket for this surgeon on the 17th, like, everyone was thinking about it I posted about it. like it was a big deal and mm -hmm. we get there he's like 45 minutes late that's fine he walks in the room sits down and goes so have you ever thought of having gastric bypass uh, I was like I looked at my mom because at first I was like that's not a back surgery I was like is that about you know like am I mistaking something um and then he proceeded to just talk about my weight for 30 minutes and how he could not do the surgery because I'm overweight and um I also left crying that appointment um and he is not doing the surgery so I'm back to doing injections and it but I was, again, I was discriminated against for my weight and for being complex. And that's just something that's not okay. And the reason that I talk about this is so if other people are in the position that I was in, they know that it's not their fault and that is not okay. Like so. for a doctor to weight shame me is not okay. I'm here for my back, not my weight. Like, exactly. you know, and so... Yeah. That's another thing. He just, you know, he said that. And now I'm like, okay, so we have difficult patient, no kids, she's fat. Like, and then the list probably goes on with my memory. So it's just, it's really hard. But I hope, I really, really hope that me talking about all these experiences help other people. Yeah, definitely. And so, as we can see through the stories you've told us, Samantha, that you have not been treated as a human being that you should be in, in when you're yeah. receiving care. And health is a human right. So my next question is, what matters to you when interacting with health professionals or undergoing these invasive examinations? Something that I look for is, well, on a human basis, compassion and empathy. I know that doctors, especially the best of doctors, are not known for their bedside manner. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not really an excuse to me. Like my the doctor that took my kidney out, he was so mean, but like he took my kidney out. Um, so <laughs> he's kind of necessary. But um, I also, if so yeah, compassion and empathy is huge for me just to be like, look at me as a human being, not as just a number on your chart. 
And another thing, speaking of chart, is that you read mine because I'm so complex. Like, I don't appreciate doctors who walk in and make me tell all six years of my story. It's really important when a doctor comes in and knows my stuff um, right off the bat, knows my chart and my history. And someone who's just like, I have um, a main doctor, basically my PCP, but it's a special program at UCLA. So he's called an extensivist, um, just for complex medicine. And he's really been my quarterback and pointed me in the right directions of doctors. And he's just shown like the epitome of what a doctor is, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Samantha, how do you think, what type of training should health providers or physicians go through to better treat and care patients? Well, it's really interesting because I don't even know. I wish there was, I always talk about this. I wish there was like some machine that you could go in and like somehow the doctors could understand your pain, like on a level and where it is. Uh, I think that something that they do at my hospital is every person that's hired has to take a personality test and it really shows a difference in the care, not maybe from doctors all the time, but from nurses, care partners, phlebotomists, like they're all for the most part, excellent. So I think that hospitals and institutions focusing a little bit more on the empathetic aspect, right? Because mm -hmm. it's COVID, doctors are tired, nurses are tired and yeah. overworked. Um, and I think it, it's just a really hard time. It's a really hard time to be chronically ill in the middle of COVID too, you know? Exactly, I fully understand you. And so my next question for you, Samantha, is how can patients ensure that they receive better healthcare and that they feel respected, understood, and heard? So you need to, you, sorry, proverbial you, um, needs to keep pushing for the doctor that you need. So if you need to go see two, three, four, five opinions, then that's what you're gonna do because you need to create, I've now created my team of specialists that like, they get me, right? They understand me, they know my case, I can trust them. Um, and that took two and a half years. So that took a long time to get to. Um, but you need to keep fighting. I know so many people who I talk to get discouraged after appointments and don't want to keep going and don't and they just accept that this is their life and I think for me I've accepted that I'm sick but I'm not going to let me being sick define who I am and in that process it's me finding doctors who's gonna agree with that and who's gonna have hope that I'm gonna live a better life than being in bed one day exactly. does that make sense that is beautifully said, Samantha. That is extremely important what you just said there because it's it's you taking ownership and ensuring that you can get providers to treat you in the way that you want to be treated. Yeah. And because they're out there. They exactly. Will. 
you know, you just have to find them. And honestly, I've um, found so many helpful tips online on a Facebook group that's meant for my disease or an Instagram or anything. There's, there's helpful. I think with uh, internet now, it's so amazing how we, you're like, you're in Canada, right? Like we're around the world and it's, just crazy that anyone can help you with your story Mm -hmm, definitely and then my next question for you Samantha is what can be done to improve the healthcare system and I know this is a loaded question there's so many things that need to be done but for you what do you feel needs to be done to improve the healthcare system um oh my gosh that is a hard question because there is so many things my mind's like going um I think I keep going back to treat everyone as a human, but like that keeps going back in my head. Um, I don't know because you're in school for so long, right? And so things, I think a lot of doctors are textbook and go everything by the textbook. And there's this show on Netflix called Diagnosis. I don't know if you've heard of it, but she kind of in the first episode talks about how healthcare is not textbook healthcare is Sherlock Holmes and you're a, you're a detective you're an investigator exactly I think doctors need to have that I'm a detective like I'm not a textbook because with me I have like a super rare genetic mutation a super rare blood like all these things that like most people haven't even heard of and so I can't just have a doctor that only goes by test results or like they really have to think out of the box. And I think enough doctors don't think out of the box. That is such a huge point, Samantha. You just highlighted two concepts right there is a lot of physicians are very to the textbook. So there's this lack of interaction when it comes to physician, patient, talking to your to the person in front of you and basically why this series is about behind diagnoses, patients, is because behind your diagnosis, there's a whole other person that doctors don't really spend the time knowing. And had they done that or gone that extra mile, it would be a really different story. It would, yeah. And so, Samantha, my last question for you is, if there is anything or anyone out there, maybe someone with the same mutation as you, wanting to share their story, what would you say to them and tell them right now? I would tell them that at first it's really scary and really weird. And you're like, I'm talking to people on the internet. Like I've never, you know, I never thought I'd be one of those people, Um, but sharing my story has brought like a whole new light to my world because of the support that I get, the support that I'm able to show to others the fact that I'm able to see others share their story, I'm able to get positive feedback about my shared story. Um, I'm someone who really runs on affirmation. So getting messages really means a lot to me. And I know that other people struggling in my situation who maybe haven't taken the step to get support online yet, I think that's a huge um, component. And if you're not doing that, I know that a lot of, uh, like, there's lupus uh, of Southern California, lupus, there's, like, organizations that you can do in person or 
virtual support groups. Like tonight I'm doing a Zoom about disability with Lupus Southern California. So um, there's just a lot of different ways to get support. And like, you can just message me if you want to like start, you know, like just, yeah. you just got to start somewhere and you'll get so much hope and benefit out of the fact that sharing your story. Beautiful, they said, Samantha. You are you are so amazing, and I'm so oh appreciative gosh. of you, you coming onto the podcast for sharing your story. This is very much needed, and you are an inspiration for so many out there. You may not know, but your story is making a difference between someone's life and death. And so, Thank with you. this, I want to just add that when patients are truly engaged and advocate for their own health, their voices are su sufficiently amplified to be able to clearly communicate which healthcare priorities are of utmost importance to them. In order for healthcare inclusion in the design of healthcare practices and systems to be efficient, the focus of patient advocacy, patient voices needs to be maximized in order for their health, wellness, beyond just prevention and treating disease. So with this, we hope that the Behind Diagnoses Patient Special Series sheds light on the importance of listening to patient voices such as Samantha, and that over time it will increase patient safety, health innovation, and transform care delivery in the clinic and beyond. And with this, Samantha, thank you so much for coming onto the PMED podcast, for sharing your story, and for being such an inspiration and an amazing human being overall. Thank you so much for all your kind words and for having me. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Hashtag Rising Youth, the Government of Canada, Canada Service Corps, and Taking It Global for supporting and funding the project. I'd also like to thank the incredible individuals, voices, and patients who appear on the series and whose stories will guide medical education, clinical practice, and healthcare innovation. Listen in and listen now to the Behind Diagnoses Patient Special Series on the PRMED podcast to ensure change for a better world. Catch us on the next episode in conversation with another incredible patient advocate. And if you need more information, do not hesitate to email us at pyramidfoundation at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe. Stay healthy.